Welcome in to West of Everest. One day after we saw Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma in what is the final scheduled Bedlam football game for the foreseeable future, giving the Cowboys bragging rights for, well, I guess we have no idea how long. The final score, 27-24. And for the second week in a row, the Sooners had plenty of chances to not lose a football game. I am Lee Benson. Grant is joining me as always. And I've got thoughts. I'm sure Grant has thoughts as well. I'm happy that I was able to sleep on that one. This morning I woke up. I rewatched the game, so it's fresh in my mind. So hopefully this will be a very substantive podcast for all you listeners out there. So Grant, after getting a nice night of sleep, hopefully, hopefully you slept well last night. Uh, how are you feeling this morning? Um, I mean, in terms of the game, I... I'm completely apathetic, which is literally the worst place that you can be. And so um, I've reflected on it and I've realized now I'm in the exact same place as I was with this program at the end of last season. Um, And I think that's the rational place to be because full stop, these last two weeks is completely unacceptable. And it just, it shouldn't have happened. And it is, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's evidence of some sort of rot within the program and I've been sitting here going back over my head is like are we am I being rational thinking this is this just is this just kind of just the the natural progression of things and are we are we going a little bit too hard in the paint after a six and seven season um, I, I just I, I don't think so it just the the way the team has played the last three weeks has been an utter failure an utter failure by the coaching staff um, they are I it wasn't I'm sorry, it was not, well, I guess it's turned out to be fool's gold, but in the first six weeks of the season, this was a bona fide, legitimate, top five, top ten team. They were playing that way, and after the bye week, they had, this is Team 128. I I can't think of, like, that. this is exactly who they are right now, and it is completely unforgivable that just after one week off, it just completely reverted back. I have no idea what's going on. But all of the problems that plagued this, this team last season are back. It's just kind of in a bit of a different flavor now. Whereas last season in the second half of the year, it seems like they came out strong and they were well prepared and they jumped on teams. Um, and then they would sort of slowly give it back as the game went on. But the last three weeks, it's been they've come out not playing very well and the other team kind of jumps on them. And then in the second and third quarters, the game stabilizes and OU goes on a run of kind of dominance. But then when they have the chance to separate and pretty much double tap the other team and end it, they're not able to do it, which was the signature, the signature thing of Team 128 in the second half of last season. And so um, I'm really frustrated. I'm really upset. What we've seen the last three weeks is unacceptable from the team. And um, I know there's been a lot of talk today about just the players not being good enough, not being talented enough. And I think to some sort of extent, that's right. They're, you know, the players aren't, aren't as good as the players that Alabama and Georgia has right now, or even as good as the players that Texas has right now. Their players are good enough to be a top 10 team in the country. They absolutely are. They're a lot better down to down than Kansas and Oklahoma State. And we saw it back to back weeks now, but they just, for whatever reason, there is an, there is a disconnect between every level of the team and it's just not coming together cohesively. And we're going to get really into it. I have, I have opinions of, of probably what the, the problem mostly is. 
Uh, but it's not going to be monocausal here. It's going to be a lot of different things. Um, but I guess we'll get into it. And, and I, but this this program is the lowest it's it's ever been since I've been following it right now. And I don't know what's going on. It's what we've seen the last three weeks is just straight incompetence. I'll piggyback off of the theme of it being basically team team 128 again and you all listening to the podcast know this but just in case for some reason it it's slipping your mind like that was the whole thing with Venables last year team 128 this year it's team 129 of Oklahoma okay just put that out there and so I'll kind of piggyback off of that because I'm with you the last three games and you mentioned uh, I think you mentioned the last two games obviously two losses but then I think you also mentioned the last three could easily be three losses they were able to pull out the UCF game I do think the last three games has told me that this team is a lot closer to Team 128 than we thought they were and that we would like them to be. Oklahoma is better than they were last year. Certainly on defense, Oklahoma is better. And this OU team has made strides. But ultimately, I think we're seeing that, yes, there has been improvement there, just not anywhere near as much as we thought there was. Not that huge chunk of improvement that a 6-0 and record, and heck, even a 7-0 record, despite the UCF game being squirrely, this, you know, despite what those records may have looked like. We thought maybe we were kind of, I don't know, led to believe one thing that wasn't true, and you kind of mentioned the term fool's gold. And so here's kind of the thing, and I was texting you and Brady this earlier, and I'll just say it to the, the listeners on the podcast. Just think like back to last season. Oklahoma started 3-0. and We were all feeling pretty good. They blew out Nebraska. Then everything kind of cratered. And OU went three and seven to finish the year. Awful. Just yuck. And then, you know, in the offseason, we kind of look back and you could watch back those first three games of the season last year. And there were some signs of what was to be coming the rest of 2022. Like, oh, the defense actually does have some holes. There's the offense. Think back to the Kent State game. The offense doing nothing in the first half for the most part. Some inconsistencies. And as the season played out, the team ended up being six and seven. Fast forward to this year. I think you can say Oklahoma solidly has made a three-game improvement over 2022. Oklahoma started 3-0 this year. Then they started 6-0 with a great win over a really good Texas team. That is a three-game improvement from 2022 because since that 6-0 start, this team has not looked the same after the bye week. It's starting to crater. And Oklahoma is 1-2 and two since Texas could easily be 0-3. And, and even though the schedule doesn't look that daunting the rest of the way, the last three games of the regular season, the way things are going right now and the way things went to end 2022, the way the team played, losing to some bad football teams, Texas Tech and West Virginia stand out, this team might be in freefall mode right now. And at the same time, they've still improved technically from 2022, which is kind of frustrating but also good but again the way we thought it was through six games going into the bye week you're right this did look like a, a top five top 10 team legitimately the defense was much improved the offense even though there was some hiccups here and there smu cincinnati it was still good enough it was still figuring out ways there was some players there and then now it's kind of like i'm kind of the same way you are i'm i'm not apathetic but i'm kind of in the, in the mode of kind of the way I was last year, to your point. I feel the same way. Like, 
oh, wait a second, this actually is not a national championship playoff type contending team. It actually isn't. So I'm not going to all of a sudden think that, oh, my gosh, these two losses have just derailed a team that could have won it all. No. Clearly, that's not the case. But also, it opens up questions of what's to come. What are we going to see the last three games and then into a bowl game? Can they bounce back? Can they actually salvage this and, and win 10 games this year, which would be a good season if they do. Uh, but a 10-win regular season, I don't feel very confident about that. Do you, does anybody out there feel confident Oklahoma's going to win the next three games? Of course not. I know exactly how the next three games are going to play out because this is Team 128. They're going to win. They're going to win most plays down to down. They're going to look like the obvious team, but they're going to make some stupid decisions. They're going to make mistakes when they absolutely can't have it, and they're going to be in a dogfight in the fourth quarter. That is how the next three games are going to go. I am certain that that is the case. And I think you made a really good point that I hadn't thought of really up until you brought it up. That was a huge thing that we talked about a lot last season with how Oklahoma started games, basically, you know, mainly the second half of the year, and then couldn't finish them. You know, they're really well prepared at the start, but then after halftime, it was not great. Through the first six games of 2023 this season, they, for the most part, Oklahoma started pretty well, save for probably the SMU and Cincinnati game. But after halftime, they've been really good, been pretty nails. And then after the bye week, it has not been that at all. And I think you're right. They've, they've started out slow, and they've kind of righted the ship in the middle portion of the game. But then when it comes to, to crunch time, they've not been good. I do suppose like, we should not go back. separated. Like- the, the UCF game was maybe not the exact thing. I mean, they should have been up 21 to nothing on UCF 10 minutes into that game. I just full stop. And so, that, I mean, that was the problem with that game. Where, I mean, they could have ended that thing in the first quarter. A team that had defense lost a came bunch out in a row. Was on, and they, defense was and the on defense fire. Did. Yeah, and, and the offense wasn't able to. And um, I, I don't know how you want to get into this. Like I, like I said, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's just like one cause of anything. But... Um, I guess I, I guys want to start here just because everybody is, is talking about the offense and everything. And, and, like, make no mistake, the offense lost them that game yesterday. The offense lost them the game in Lawrence as well. And the offense was the reason they almost lost to UCF as well. So right now it is absolutely on the offense. This defense is a lot better than it was last year. The amount of stop, like, the, the stretches of dominance that they had against UCF at times was very impressive. Um, the fact... Uh, and especially the last two weeks, they have made big plays when they've needed to, to give the ball back to the offense to go in the game, and the offense has failed every single freaking time that it's happened. And, I, like, here, here's... And, I, I like, I don't want to be a broken record, and I don't want to be one of those guys who is just kind of going hard in the paint and is, is super in his feels, and... But I am actually ready. I They cannot justify bringing back a majority of this offensive coaching staff next season. They cannot justify it. There is very obviously some sort of incongruity with the offensive staff and what they are doing. And it's per- like, the best example of it is the disconnect between Jeff Lebby and DeMarco Murray. It, that's, it is the best example of it. That may not be the number one reason why everything is going on, but it is the most glaring, obvious example. What on earth is Dalen Smothers and Javante Barnes doing in this game whatsoever? How is that defensible? How? How can you do that? DeMarco Murray has been awful this year. If he is the one actually making the decisions of who is playing, his, his conduct this season 
is entirely indefensible. Entirely. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, with I was it. also. I'm, I'm, and like, I know, like, I just, it's, and I guess it's just, it's, it's the easy thing right out there to just grab, but there is so much incompetence happening there. It's ridiculous. Tawi Walker is by far the best running back on this team. By far, it's not even remotely freaking close. Gavin Sawchuk had a good game. I'm, I'm glad that, and he looked good. It looked like he was kind of starting to shake off the rust a little bit. And I know that Tawi Walker was banged up. He didn't look banged up. He didn't look banged up at all. He looked like Tawi freaking Walker. Why did he only get nine carries? Why was he only out there for nine carries? Why is Javante Barnes in there? Why is Javante Barnes in an important situation making a stupid little play where I don't even know what happens and he results in a turnover? Why is Dalen Smothers out there in the fourth quarter on a drive where they absolutely have to have it? How can you defend that? Why is Brennan Thompson getting playing time at all? Why is LV Bunkley Shelton out there returning punts, almost turning it over again? Why is he out there running routes? Why is Austin Stogner on the field at all? Why are they in 11 personnel at all when it doesn't work? It's This offensive coaching staff sucks right now. It's not good. And like I, where I'm at right now is that they need to move on from everyone on the offensive coaching staff except for Emmett Jones. That's what needs to happen. They need to get rid of the former Stoops and Riley guys, and they have to bring in other dudes. It's, there is a disconnect. It's obvious this is the worst season that Bill Beanbow has ever had as a position coach. DeMarco Murray's, like I said, conduct is indefensible. He, he deserves to get fired, which makes me sad because I love that guy. He's been terrible this year. Joe John Finley should not have a job. The tight end room is terrible. It's awful. They do nothing. They, they add nothing to the game whatsoever. And, and, and of course, it's, it's all. And then Jeff Lebby is... Um, you just can't convince me. The, the problems that they have with penalties and pre-snap stuff, it's because of the emphasis on the tempo. That is why, and we're back to that. We are back to that being a huge problem again. And you know what? Their emphasis on the tempo is the reason why they called that really terrible, awful play on fourth and five. Because that's part of their tendency. Because that's the same freaking play they ran on fourth and medium every single time last year and failed every single time. And Oklahoma State scouted them, and they knew that, they, that that play was a heavy possibility in that situation. And they knew exactly that it was coming. Wow, what a rant. That's one of the best rants on this podcast in a long time. In a long time. And so I know that this is... I, I, obviously, I don't work at News 9 anymore, so I'm not at every press conference. I'm not at every scrum like I used to be. And when I was covering the team... I don't even recall this being answered, um, and so maybe it's been answered since. But I, and I know I think you know you listen to some of the other guys that are on the beat and you talk to about the running back situation. You hear people say that it's Demarco Murray's call, and that it was not even before Demarco Murray was here. It was who was the the other guy that uh, that went into going to Texas that was under Riley's staff. It was like it was his call as well. Who played? Who which running backs play? Like that's. Apparently, that's a thing, which I've always kind of thought in my mind, isn't that up to the, the, the offensive coordinator who's deciding personnel? So anyways, I bring that up because if it really truly is DeMarco Murray making the calls on who plays, you're exactly right. It's, he has been horrible this year. Horrible. And how many times do we need to say? You said it last show, two shows ago. Uh, there's, there's no, you, you can't convince me that it wasn't obvious in fall camp 
that Toby Walker was the best guy. It certainly was obvious after game number one. If, if you couldn't figure it out in fall camp, it certainly was obvious against a bad Arkansas State team where only one guy averaged more than five yards per carry in that game, and it was Tawi Walker. They're moving forward. It's like, okay, well, this guy is obviously the best player, their best running back, and obviously you want to try to mix other guys in because Jeff Levy likes to get other guys involved. Heck, they've gotten a lot of people involved, and it, Marcus Major is the main guy that's seen most of the work. He's obviously injured right now, not playing, uh, but they sure as heck wanted him to get going this year, and we were always just couldn't figure it out, and it makes even less sense now considering – it's almost like they have to play top. And that's the thing is the last two games, and I said it before, I'll say it, it's very obvious in this game with Tommy Walker and Gavin Sachuk. Whenever the game is on the line, whenever there's actually like tough situations in games, Kansas and now Oklahoma State, the coaching staff has told us who they think the best guys are for the most part. They're playing them because they know they have to. Tommy Walker got tons of carries last week because, oh crap, he's our best guy. We have to give him the football. Gavin Sachuk and Tommy Walker got most of the carries yesterday because they're, He's, they're their two best guys right now. Yet, to your point, in a weird spot late in the game, Smothers is on the field in a situation where actually that, I believe it was a third down play. No, it was a, it was a first down play. And I guess we can go around stuff, but you brought up Smothers. I noticed him as well. And it was, I can't remember what the score was. Let me, I want to get this right. Because I made a note of it as I was rewatching it. Come on. Where are you? Come on. Come on. Okay. So it was 27-21. So fourth quarter, OSU's up by six. This is Oklahoma's drive after uh, the OU. First of all, OU's down 24-21. Very first snap of the next drive, low snap. Gabriel can't handle it. Turnover. One of the three stupid turnovers in the game for Oklahoma. Just dumb turnovers. To OU's defense's credit, they get three plays, force a field goal, make it a one, you know, keep it a one-possession game. So this is when Oklahoma gets the ball back, down by six, and they start the drive with a great timing throw to Drake Stoops for a first down. And then they take a shot to Jalil Farouk up the sideline that Farouk makes a great play on, P.I., 46 yards, one of the biggest plays of the day. Uh, another underthrown pass, by the way, deep down the field for Dylan Gabriel. That time it actually ended up working. They caught it and they got the PI. So after two explosive plays to get into OSU territory down near the red zone on first down, Colin Oliver blows up the first down play, leads to a sack. They go backwards. This is a play that Dalen Smothers is in at running back and I just was like, what, are you, what is he doing there? Why is he in the game? And it looked like, if you watch the playback, they were setting up a tight end throwback to Austin Stogner, who was, actually, who was wide open. It was, it was there. The problem was, Dalen Smothers was in at running back, and he released into a route probably too early. I don't even know why he would have been asked to run a route. So he releases, means there's no extra guy back in pass pro to try to, to chip Colin Oliver, makes the... Timing of the play disrupted, speeds up Gabriel's timing. He has to step up, and he gets sacked. And I don't know if, if Tommy Walker's in there, if Gavin Sachuk's in there, if the same thing happens, maybe. Colin Oliver's a really good player. Uh, Oklahoma neutralized him for the most part yesterday. That was like the one play where I remember him doing something. And that was a big play in the game because it set up second down and 13. On second and 13, they try to fool Oklahoma State. They run a GT counter, but they don't 
give it to Sawchuck. They pull it, and DG keeps it. And Oklahoma State is not fooled, and they have not one but two players on the backside. And DG goes nowhere. And then it was on the third down of that series when the blatant PI on Stoops was missed, and they swallowed the whistle. And that was obviously a horrible no call. Horrible no call. Of course they missed that. Um, and I, I'm not sure what the rule is. I think I was looking online to not, today. Like I saw somewhere where it said like if the if the players ran between the two and the 17 yard line, and the PI happens in the end zone, they put the ball at the two. That play was from the 18 yard line. So I don't know if that if the ball would have been put at the two yard line or if it would have been half the distance of the goal. I don't know. But I think it would have been. Uh, yeah, it would have been because it happened in the end zone, so it would have been put on the two yard line. That's what I'm saying. I was was reading like a a story though, where it said, and I haven't looked at the actual rules, but the story I read said if the if the play, if the ball was snapped between the two yard line and the 17 yard line, and it happens in the end zone, they put it at the two. That play was from the 18 yard line, so I don't know if technically they would have. I don't know. I don't know if that's actually the rule or not. But either way, they missed the call, and that was, yeah, that that was that was not good. That sucked. Yeah, and I guess like it's. And, and I think it's totally fair to look at this and just be like, I mean, you know, WTF about that. I mean, that's, you can't miss that call. It's awful. That was, it's, I mean, yeah, I don't even sit here and need to, to talk about how that's definitionally pass interference because everybody knows that. And, and the thing is, yeah, there was, there were three big calls in this game that were utter BS that absolutely killed OU. Um, and, and I was like, on that 97 yard drive, those two flags in that situation are indefensible by the officiating crew are the one the the call on Vickers is wrong that was OPI that was OPI all day long if there's a flag yeah and Lee were you at the game were you in the stadium no, no. okay um I, I I don't know the the quick flag on Venables after that is is garbage was horse crap total horse crap and they were waiting for it. They were begging him to do it. And they were, he went over and he was upset with the flag call because it was OPI. And he knew it. And he just went over and he was and he just he just gave like the pushing motion. And as soon as he came out, the guy threw the flag instantly. I'm sorry, like I uh, yeah, like, I'm not I, and as, I get I'm not it. Mad. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm more mad at I'm no, more mad no, at I, I'm sorry, I, no. Football is an emotional game. That was garbage. That's garbage. It doesn't matter. They still they still should have won the game by by multiple scores even after all of this crap. But I thought, uh, it's, I thought the play was a play where the officials could have maybe kept the flag in, the, in their pocket. I don't think it was OPI. I think, if, if anything, it was more DPI than OPI. Uh, but also, it could have been just a no-call no situation. I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, the, the TV official thought it was a good call. I know Dusty was like, hey, what, what do you think? So, yeah, I think that wasn't black and white. I'm open to argument. I, I don't think it was OPI. I think it was either a no call or defensive pass interference. Uh, and obviously, Venables thought it was should have. He was one or the other. You can't run out to the the numbers like Dusty said in the broad. You can't run out and do that. Like he, where's where's his get his get back guy? Where's his get back coach? Like Lincoln Riley never got penalized for that. <laughs> like why is Venables getting penalized? You can't be a guy that's all about discipline and keeping your cool and making sure that everyone does things right and get flagged for that. And that's on top of the bench getting flagged last week. It's that just, this is, happens all the time without flags. All the time. The I don't quick, know if coaches go out that twitch, far into the field. The quick, it happens all the freaking time. You think Saban gets flagged on that? Absolutely not. 
I don't I don't recall a lot of coaches running that far out on the field. Normally, like they're waiting for the referee to be by the, by the side, maybe a couple steps out on the field, but like all the way out. That's why they threw it. That's clearly why the guy threw it. He's like, "What are you doing out here?" Sure, should he keep it in his pocket? Probably. It's a big game. It's stupid, but it's still it's it's, it's unforced error by Oklahoma, and thirty three yards after they were at the three yard line, you get thirty three penalty. Uh, I mean, one of them was kind of whatever, and then the Venables one added to it. Not great. Yeah, sure, I mean, it's, but yeah, it's, you can be it's mad just about frustrating. It. It's it's frustrating. It's it's frustrating. It doesn't. I said it doesn't change the fact that it doesn't change the fact that personnel wise and ability wise, they're just a lot better than Oklahoma State. And I think Oklahoma State fans know that too after watching that game. Like it's that was it's just gift it was gift wrapped gift wrapped. Uh, I mean, this game was not nearly as gift wrapped as last week. Uh, Oklahoma State's a good football team. They're playing. It's crazy how good they are. Like this is the best offensive line Oklahoma State's had in a long time. They Oklahoma's front four could not figure it out. They could not get any pressure on on Alan Bowman. And I think I give credit to the offensive line for Oklahoma State. They could not Oklahoma could not get any organic pressure. The only time they got anything was when they sent blitzes, which was not that much. They didn't blitz a lot at all. So I think I give credit to Oklahoma State's offensive line. That being said, Oklahoma's defense played well. There was a a, I was going to say this earlier because you you said that earlier in the podcast it was the offense that cost them the game. The offense cost Oklahoma the game last week too. I agree with you. You're right. There was a stretch in this game, middle portion of this game, Grant, where the Oklahoma defense went one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive possessions for Oklahoma State, giving up nothing. Punt, punt, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, interception. Six, six series in the middle of the game where it gave Oklahoma's offense a chance. At one point, Oklahoma did take the lead. But it gave Oklahoma the chance to offensively separate against, I'm sorry, a bad Oklahoma State defense. It's that just, defense, I said that, that defense freaking sucks. OU had, I said I, I wanted 50 they points wanted in that game. The entire game, whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted. There were plays, there were plays that OU would call that worked every single time. Every time, like this little kind of wham play that they run with the running backs now where there's one little pulling lineman and they get up field quickly and it's a gap scheme, chunk yards on that play every single time. What's like, you know what Oklahoma State did this season after they lost to South Alabama and were freaking embarrassed? It's very obviously that they just got back to the basics. They picked a handful of plays that they run really, really well that are simple and they just keep running those things over and over again. Oklahoma State ran like three plays in that game. Well, and here's another issue that is pretty glaring, and I think coaching staffs will tell you how they feel about their team, about their players. I think last week was kind of forgivable because of the weather conditions in Lawrence, the, 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 you know, Oklahoma not being aggressive at the end of the first half. Okay, fine. Into the first half against Oklahoma State, Brent Venables elects not to call a timeout with about 41 seconds to go when it was going to be fourth down for Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, would, they'd have punted. So maybe they punt, Oklahoma gets the football maybe at their own 20, maybe inside the 20, maybe it's a long field, with anywhere from 32 to 34 seconds left with, I believe, two timeouts maybe they would have had. And Brent Venables had no, no interest in that at all. And that, that just that told me, number one right there, no confidence, no confidence in the offense, no confidence really in Dylan Gabriel. And I think Oklahoma State, Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy, have immensely more confidence in Alan Bowman than Jeff Levy and Brent Venables have in Dylan Gabriel. There was a situation 
in the game where Oklahoma State got the ball back and they were trying to burn clock. They ran the ball a couple times, got a first down. They let Alan Bowman do an RPO and throw it on first down. Easy, pitch and catch. Picked up like 15. No big deal because that's what Oklahoma State does. I know the word identity has been thrown around a lot the last couple of weeks. Oklahoma's offense has no identity. I think it's fair. Oklahoma State certainly does have an identity. It's we're an RPO team, but we do we do really really well. And we can also run it down your throat if, if we want to. And Alan Bowman has been terrific on that, but it's all over film in Oklahoma for with the exception of the middle portion of the game, couldn't figure it out. Like we're giving up seven, eight yard cushions, and it's all timing based. Alan Bowman can easily get it out there, throw it out there to his big bodied receivers. I think Rashad Owens had did he have twenty targets? It seemed like it, which he should get that many every game. I don't know why. He's a, he's a really good player. He says he's 6'2". He looks like he's 6'6". He looks huge out there. And then the other guy that came on last week is 6'5". He had a nice game, too, and so did Brennan Presley. Oklahoma State gets the ball to a lot of their good players, more so than Oklahoma can, does. Uh, it's just it's, it's sad that Oklahoma State's offense right now has more of an identity and is better than Oklahoma's. And it has been, honestly, for the last month. Four or five weeks. That's what I saw on tape. And Oklahoma State did exactly what they always do with what they've been doing, and they did it well for the first part of the game and then in the last part of the game when they needed it. Yeah, and I just, like, where, where I'm frustrated is that it's... OU's offense is it's not it's not bad. I think that's where no, it's, it's just not. like there's it's been not a, bad. And, and it wasn't bad last year. In fact, they ran the ball so freaking well last year. They were so good running the ball last year. This year, there's a lot of things they did. And honestly, these last, like... These last two games, they've proved that this team is fully capable of running the ball as long as they just call the right plays and have the right personnel in. And they just, they, it is the identity. Jeff Lebby has absolutely no clue week to week of what he wants to establish and what he wants to do. That is so clear. He just, it's, and like, I don't want to sound like a broken record. And at this point in time, it's just like calling for Jeff Lebby to be gone just seems like a sort of like the low com denom, like obvious take. But at this point in time, it's so very obviously not working. It's there is, like and I said, there's that incongruity between those two things where there is just something that is not clicking and not working. There's obviously miscommunication. They do not communicate in terms of personnel on the field and what plays we're calling. That is so clear. That's very obvious. And that's indefensible. That's completely indefensible. I, I just... They, they, they how need, about they, uh, in the first... How about in the first half... After, uh, like, I think they got a first down, I think maybe to Farouk on a slant. And by the way, Oklahoma was actually pretty good on third and long in that game. Like, they converted, I think, three or four, like, third and, third and 10, third and 12. Yeah, because Oklahoma State's defense freaking sucks. Right. And when, no, and, yeah, it's, and when OU just called t- traditional passing plays and allowed Dylan Gabriel to sit in the pocket, and they actually ran routes over the middle of the field, dudes were wide freaking open the entire GD game. Yeah, so what I was going to say, though, how about the play in the first half? I think it was after a converted third down. Julio Fruit gets called for false start because he, he doesn't get the call. He's, like, jumping up and down, and Oklahoma's quick, t- up-tempo offense. Dylan Gabriel doesn't look over to make sure everyone's set, snaps the ball. It's to go backwards five yards. There was a moment in the game, separately, too, where Oklahoma turned a first and five. They had first down and five offensively. They turned it into a third and 13. <laughs> and then they converted it. Then they converted the third and 13. Just... What are you doing going backwards? Uh, there's, I, I, we are definitely jumping around everywhere. I, 
I'll start I, I from think, the beginning. I think a better, I, I think a much more focused offense in this situation that is much more focused on precision and just getting into the right play and executing it without having to worry about all this window dressing and going fast and all of this stuff. There was stuff there. They should have scored 50 freaking points. They should have scored seven touchdowns in this game. It was there. The running game was there. The passing game was there. There was a lot of things working, but then they just inexplicably go to stuff that doesn't work and hasn't worked the entire season and hasn't worked over the last two seasons. So from the start of the game, obviously Oklahoma State comes out, they score, and uh, I think it was, I don't think we saw Key Lawrence after the first series. Uh, now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, it was, he, he missed a couple of tackles on the first series. The rest of the game, it was Robert Spears Jennings and Reggie Pearson after that. I don't think Key Lawrence played the rest of the game, now that I'm thinking about it. So, okay. Uh, Gentry Williams was getting picked on by Rashad Owens. He didn't play a lot. I don't know if he's injured. I know he got banged up in that game again. Uh, he was a liability out there because then there was a merry-go-round of corners opposite of Woody Washington most of the game. Uh, Kenai Walker, Makari Vickers, Josiah Wagner, all those guys got shots. Can I, can I bring up one thing? And none of them were really that good. And, I'm not, and, and I understand that there's different like defensive um, philosophies about where corners stand up, whether or not they're on the boundary, the field side, and all of that stuff. I, I have no idea how after Rashad, like um, after, after this guy was just had so many targets and so many catches and was killing you on that stuff, how do you not have Woody Washington shadow him the entire game? How do you not make an adjustment? Like, and, and I know and it, it all worked out anyway, and they should have been able to set. They got six straight stops, and the offense should have been able, like, let's be real, offense should have been able to score four or five touchdowns after those six stops because Oklahoma State's defense is freaking terrible. And OU still almost averaged eight yards per play in this freaking game and only scored 24 points. My God. They almost averaged eight yards per play in that game? Wow. 7.6 yards per play in that game. I didn't do the math. Wow, that's great. So, okay, it, so I think that was, but that was a factor in the game, though, too, with, with Gentry Williams being in and out because you, you saw later in the game, whenever Makari Vickers and Josiah Wagner out there, Alan Bowman was picking on those guys with Rashad Owens and the other guy, uh, Leon Johnson, the other big, tall guy. Like, yep, these guys are young and they're little. We're going to pick on them, and it worked. So Oklahoma goes down 7 nothing, takes them three plays to score to make it 7-7, and obviously you get the Sawchuck long explosive touchdown run. And that run comes off of Grant doing exactly what you always ask him to do. They, of course, they were in 11 personnel, which they're always in 11 personnel because they always like to have Austin Sodner out there. But they were in a two-by-two two set, spread out. OSU only had five guys in the box. It was easy. Easy pickings. They, they pulled both guards around. Touchdown, like whatever it was, 60-something yards. By my count, they ran that play three times yesterday. And they got the touchdown run. They ran it a little bit later. Sacha got 15 and then they ran it again later. I think Sawchuk picked up like five. They ran it like five different, three different times, and they got you know it, it was it was defended better and better each time. But they probably should have ran it more. And my issue is that the RPO thing is a numbers game. Oklahoma State the entire afternoon was begging Oklahoma to run the ball even more. And Oklahoma, especially at the start of the game, it was so frustrating. Grant, and I went back and looked at this. Uh, they you know seven to seven. The Oklahoma defense comes out, forces a punt. So OU gets the ball back with the game tied. They're in, they're in 12 personnel down by the goal, whatever. But they start moving the ball, whatever, fine. Uh, third down and 13. Third down and 13. And Javante Barnes is in the game for the first time. And Javante Barnes actually does a really nice job. He picks up a blitzer in pass pro, gives Dylan Gabriel an extra beat. And this is that 
Long developing over route to Nick Anderson on third and long. That picked up 49 yards in the first quarter. And Javante Barnes was in there on that play on third down. Did a nice job. Picked up the blitzer and like threw the guy down. I was like, okay, good for you. It's almost like Jeff Levy was like, oh, we got to reward that. Now this next snap. And that was the that very next play was this direct snap thing to Javante Barnes. Fumble. OU turns it over after they've gotten some, moment, some momentum. One, the, the, the first um, of three dumb turnovers. On the, on the Sooner Scoop postgame pod, I think they asked about that after the game. And that was not supposed to be a direct snap to the running back. Okay. Great. So that was on. So it's likely that that was on Andrew Rame. But then you have Javante Barnes just like trying to give the ball to Dylan Gabriel. Well, that's weird because if you went, I could have swore when I, I watched the replay of that a couple of times, it looks like Javante Barnes is lined up directly behind the center. Like Gabriel is like offset. Is that I don't know if that's normal, but to I don't me, know. It, Honest, they, I have no idea. But of course, there you go. You just but that that is a situation of just if that is the case, just getting freaking cute again. I just and that's the thing is so after that play I was like what why are you passing it so much just run the ball Oklahoma State in the box they're not good against the run and so I went back the first two series Grant here's here's what oh you went first series pass pass Gavin Sawchuk long touchdown run second series run pass 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 Botched running back snap to Javante Barnes. The three run attempts, there was three run attempts, one of which was a botched snap. On the seven pass attempts, one of them, Dylan Gabriel, got sacked. It, they started running the ball more, but it's just the start of the game, it came out. And there was like, it's almost like Jeff Lebb was like, yep, we were so conservative last week. We, never, we didn't pass much. Now I got to pass like every play. And you know what? That's great because that Oklahoma State defense is bad. I'm okay with you passing on it too because. You should be able to pass on it. But yet, they weren't having any success, really, because of, I don't know, the plays they called until they got the Nick Anderson over route. Well, because like, a lot of their more... freaking pass plays are horizontal. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, it's fine. Like, and, and a lot of the times, those are used as like an extension of the run game, and that stuff was working a lot better at the beginning of the season. It's not. I mean, it's, teams have scouted that. They know when it's coming. You, like, it's, you got you to gotta stop doing it. So, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State goes up 14-7. Oklahoma, uh, one of the rare times, uh, the game was 7-7, one of the rare times Oklahoma benefited from an opposing team committing a holding penalty that helped out Oklahoma because uh, it pushed Oklahoma State back, created a third down and 13. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Oklahoma State motioned a guy across, creates an easy pitch and catch throw for 10 yards, makes it fourth down and three, and then on fourth and three they go for it. Easy little RPO pitch and catch to Brennan Presley against Woody for a first down. So Oklahoma actually gets a team that, that's called for holding. Doesn't matter. Oklahoma State comes back, picks up the first down. That's the drive. Oklahoma State went up 14-7 to early in the second quarter. So uh, now early in the game in the first quarter, early Oklahoma could not figure out the RPO game, could not, could not slow them down through the air. Clearly they figured something out in the middle of the game. They got better at it. By my they, eyes, they, they that, was, up easy throws. that was 100% just on the decision to give a lot of cushion. And I yes. like, and I get it. And like, I, I mean, this reminds me of like, you know, the mid 2010s and stuff like that when I'm just begging Oklahoma to play press coverage. Um, I, hey man, I went on this podcast before and I, was, I, I still don't think Alan Bowman's a very good player. That guy has a water pistol for an arm. And all OU did was just make things easy on him the entire time. 
instead of getting on the line, try to be physical with the receivers. If they run past you, oh well, Alan Bowman has a water pistol. It's gonna the ball's that's gonna what, freaking that's what float safeties in are the for. air. That's what Billy Bowman and Robert Spears Jennings they're that's that's what the safety's jobs are, to give you some cover back there. Like, yeah. and, like and Bowman like, was and you know and and hey, like I Alan Bowman, I am pretty certain played the best game of his career yesterday. And in the six years he's been in college, yesterday was probably the best game of his career. Um, OU allowed that to happen a lot of the time. And even then, the defense still played pretty well because they were able to... That, I mean, geez, man, they, they forced six consecutive stops in the middle of this game. I mean, it may, it may it might have been, but like I, I was telling you before on the, the pregame preview podcast, like Alan Bowman looked yesterday the way he's looked to me the last ever since he's been the starter, since the Big 12 play began. That's the way he's looked. He's looked really good. And he's just, he runs the offense. The offense is simple, and uh, but he, he makes it work. And Oklahoma allowed him, not, not for the entire game, but allowed him to do what he does. And the thing is, to, to his credit, I don't think he was sacked all day. I don't think he, he was sacked. He was always able to, if, when the, the couple of times Oklahoma did get pressure, he was able to, to rush out and threw it away. He had a couple of, you know, like he didn't really throw it up to OU at all. Granted, there was one play where it would not have been an easy play, but a better linebacker in coverage could have made a play, and that was late in the game on third down. Got to bring it up. It's on our guy, Jaron Kanick, who, by the way, uh, Kanick played a decent amount, but Kobe McKenzie sure played a lot of snaps. It was a lot of Kobe McKenzie and a lot of Kip Lewis, and Kip Lewis, with the exception of maybe two or three snaps, was really good in that game. And I, again, like, Danny Stutzman's a really nice player. Kip Lewis is also a really good player, too. And that, I, I was not that worried about that particular position. I thought Kip Lewis would be just fine. And he was. Yeah, let's, which was very impressive to see. I, and I was a little worried about that going into this game. Uh, Kip Lewis is great. Kip Lewis is great. Kip Lewis and Danny Stutzman are the two best OU linebackers in the last 10 years. They're the two best. And, and I know that they play the same position, they got to figure those guys have got to be on the field at the same time together because yeah. they're both, yeah, they, mean, they, they, are, some... they are both yeah. like, I, I mean, they are both potentially all American level players. They, they got to be on the field uh, at the same time. Kip Lewis is let's, an excellent football player. Let's give, let's give Kenneth Murray some credit. Who knows if Kenneth Murray would have played with Brent Venables, maybe he, yeah, he, he was all American player. Um, I, no, Kenneth I mean, Murray some credit. Kenneth Murray, even in that all American season was still really bad defending the run between the tackles. Just wanna, don't don't want to go without saying Kenneth Murray. The guy was a first round draft pick, but I found the play. I was <coughs> God, pardon me. I'm still dealing with a a lingering cough after being sick. Last, it's just the last couple of weeks. It's annoying. But I, I found the play that I, I brought up a moment ago. It was it was third and eleven. Let's see what the situation was. What was the score here? Twenty one seventeen. I believe OU's up twenty one seventeen. This is late third quarter, and this is on the drive where it ended up actually not hurting OU because at the start of the fourth quarter, Oklahoma State gave Oklahoma their one gift turnover on a trick play where Ollie Gordon threw a pick. So ultimately, this play ended up not hurting Oklahoma, I guess. But one of the few times, it was, it was third and 11, Oklahoma brought some pressure and, and gave Bowman some problems. They brought a blitz off the edge on third and 11, and Jaron Kanick was showing blitz, but then dropped back into coverage, into the flats. And Alan Bowman hits Brennan Presley for a first down. And this was an example of Jaron Kanick not being, like, stop me if you've heard this before, 
a linebacker for Oklahoma not being good in pass coverage. Like a better player either knocks this down or an even better player picks this ball off and goes and scores. And it's a play where he sinks into the flat. You know his job is to sink into the flat. He's not worried about getting deep and making sure that nobody gets behind him because he's a linebacker and there's safeties for that. So his job is the flats. You know you're bringing pressure, so probably the ball's going to come out pretty quick. And he sinks back there, and there's one guy there that would be responsible, and that's Brendan Presley. He even turns his head in time to see the ball get thrown, and he like he like gets paralyzed, kind of similar to what we've seen maybe a couple times from Billy Bowman this year, like where it's almost like you see it, you know you're kind of supposed to make a play, but like he's just his natural ability does not take over. The ball comes out. If he's sinking back there knowing this ball could come out quickly, there's one guy here, I could jump this route, boom. Pick six maybe. But he just said the, the instincts aren't there for Canick. And the and the, the instincts weren't there for Kenneth Murray either. And honestly, the instincts are there sometimes for Danny Stutzman. He's had a couple of picks. They're definitely better than most of them. Uh, I haven't really seen Kip Lewis in this spot much. Uh, Kip Lewis, I haven't really seen him in pass coverage. So I can't really make any thoughts. But Canick, he... Gives up a pass there. Presley catches it. Third and 11. Converts for a first down. Not an easy play. Don't get me wrong. But it's a play that you want your linebacker to convert and make. On third and 11, one of the few times you get pressure. I mean, you're um, so also anyway. forgetting the fact that whatever. I mean, the ball was still caught by Presley with like four yards short of the, the line to gain. And instead of trying to get the guy in the ground, Canick tries to strip him. And he allows a guy who, who he outweighs by 35 pounds to backpedal for a first down. Like, even then. Well, I like think partly because of that is because the ball was, he caught the ball kind of weirdly, and Kanek kind of, he kind of got there close to the same time. So in his mind, he was probably thinking like, oh, I can, I can, I can try to pick this off and steal it from him. I think that's, and as opposed to like, he was, in, he was in that mode as opposed to just tackle mode because he was close. Like, but the fact that he was close means that he should have been able to knock it down before the ball even got there. If he just had a little bit more awareness, like you, you see him, if you watch the play again, balls in the air, Canick sees it. He like stops. He like kind of looks. He's like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's almost like, and I'll be honestly, I remember there was one play when I played high school football where a very similar thing happened where weirdly I saw it, I read it. I saw the whole thing coming. And for whatever reason, when the ball got to the guy, I was up against a guy who was like five inches taller than me for whatever reason, like I got, was paralyzed and like my body didn't go and like I, I wasn't able to break the play up and I was so mad I was like because I saw it coming a mile away and it's almost like that happened to Canick on that play it's like I but like he sees this way more than I ever saw it when I was in high school man he, he plays a lot more snaps and has a lot more chances than I ever did so it's like when you get all these chances you gotta it's gotta become second nature you gotta make these plays so random what, random what, sidebar there I and guess. when did that happen in the game where where was that in the game that was end of third quarter. OU's up 21-17. It was on the series that ended with Oklahoma State. Tur- the, the one turnover where they the first play of the fourth quarter was the, the interception that Gordon threw. So it ended up that Oklahoma State didn't score on the drive. But who knows? Like a better linebacker? Who knows? Maybe, maybe reads that, picks it off, takes it back, and, and scores, and OU's up by two touchdowns or is up by two possessions. And who knows? Like, just little thing. And the thing is, like, this is why it's so close to Team 128 because just little stuff, little things get magnified more when you're not blowing teams out, when you're not beating teams the way you should beat them, when you're not separating. 
it's it's sad, but it. How many times we have these discussions when Lincoln Riley was the coach? They, it was mainly it was the defense's fault because the defense couldn't stop anybody. But then when the defense did get stops, then the offense couldn't separate. The offense couldn't do its job, and it's just for the first six games, for the most part, it was working. It, but now we're kind of back to now they're they're just they're kind of playing even with these these teams. I think Oklahoma State's a good football team. Uh, I think I think Kansas. I, I don't you don't like Kansas. Kansas is a good football team too. Oklahoma's better. Oklahoma is much better. But they're playing down to their competition. And it's just kind of like last year. Like, OU should have won more than six games. They had, a, they had more talent. They had, more, they had enough talent to win at least eight last year. Okay? They didn't. They only won six. This year, this should be a, this should be a 10-win regular season team. That's after what we saw the first six games. Probably ain't going to get there. They might get to 10 if they, if they win a bowl game. Maybe. We'll see. It's just they're playing down to the competition. They're not playing up to what they can play. And coaching staff has been in the crosshairs the last few games. And at times, at times, it's been the players. Nick Anderson, horrible drop yesterday in a big spot. And I missed that live, kind of, when I watched it back this morning. One of, one of Dylan Gabriel's best throws of the day, running the money. Anderson dropped it. That was big. Uh, that's on the player. A couple other things on the players, too. But... Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It's annoying, and yeah, I don't know where to go with it. Don't know where to go with it. And now we're just sitting here. We just got to wait till next week to see what the next chapter is in in the collapse. Because um, I I don't know what's gonna happen next week. But got West Virginia. They're already bowl eligible. They're having a better season than than anticipated. So it's a night game. It's a six p.m. kick at Owen Field. That's kind of interesting. But um, well, I'm not. I mean, I just I have no I have no confidence that they're going to show up and play well. I'm sure the defense will probably play well for long stretches of the game, and I'm sure the offense will probably look like a freaking world beater for for decent chunks and stretches of the game. And then they are going to piss down their leg. I know they are going to. Yeah, there we go. I mean, now I'm just going to go through everything from my rewatch. Uh, OU gets the ball to start the second half. Gavin Sawchuk gets going, and then Gabriel just throws up an absolute duck into double coverage. Awful. The second of the three stupid turnovers. And it's like the entire time I'm begging them to take shot. And they Gabriel took, I think, maybe four or five shots. Uh, more than that. But I went tracked and I was texting you and Brady this. Four of his shots he took were below average throws and underthrown. And I, whether it's Drew Farouk who had a step, step and a half, the Nick Anderson shot was perfect. Great throw. And that was actually one snap after an underthrown ball to Jalil Farouk where there's only, of course, of course, Oklahoma State only got called for P.I. one time on one of those underthrows, and it was the play, it was one of the plays where that was actually caught by Jalil Farouk, yet OSU was not flagged for any like sort of P.I.s on the ones that they didn't catch. There was one that Farouk probably should have caught. There was one uh, on third and long that, yeah, that hit Farouk in the hands that he should have caught, but that was, that was P.I. It's like, so... He's got, he's got a step and a half. Like, I'd like to think that you got to throw the ball f- farther out there. And you know, I was questioning, I was wondering about Dylan Gabriel, his arm after the Kansas game. I think he looked more back to normal. Granted, his, his deep ball is losing steam. I don't know. Like, it, it's just it's dying at the end. And I, I think, it's again, in a game when you, you lose by a field goal and everything gets magnified, just little things like that start to come out more. 
It's a lot more fun whenever you beat a team by three or four scores. You don't have to worry about these, you know, oh, that ball was kind of underthrown. That one's kind of, it doesn't matter. We're up by three touchdowns because we were able to figure it out either way. And so that's like why these stuff gets, gets uh, more magnified, more magnified. So then, then so th- those are the two. And then, of course, right after Oklahoma State takes the lead later in the game, very first snap was whenever Oklahoma, another their third turnover, a low snap that Gabriel can't get. I think we already talked about it a little bit. And then the defense stepped up and held Oklahoma State to a field goal to make it a, keep it a one-possession game. But just three times they gave the ball over to, to Oklahoma State. And that's frustrating. And, yes, I know the Stoops' no call was huge. The thing is, I tweeted last night, like, yeah, that was a bad no call. But the, the fact and the problem is that it even comes down to that stuff is the problem, is why this yeah, is there a problem. Was, like, in the second half of last season, too, there was a bunch of crappy calls against them in those games as well. Happened all the time. It did, still didn't matter. They still should have won all those games by double digits. Exactly. And that's the thing is, like, yes, if you're a fan that sees that and says that, that changed the game, they could have won, you're not wrong. I'm with you. My, my rebuttal is, so what? Okay, maybe they make the right call. Maybe Oklahoma ekes out this game and wins. Okay, yeah, great. The OU's out 8-1. Has, has anything changed, though, with the way this team's playing? Are you going to be super confident now they can make a run to the playoff? It's the same team. Like, it's it, it going like, to just happen again. They're going to make a mistake. There's, like, so what this does is just, it just it tells us what we need to know earlier so we don't get our hearts ripped out later in the year like we have in the past. Like, like oh, okay, well, th- this is what this team is. It's, it's a team that underperforms. It's good, good, good football team, better than last year, but still has a ways to go. So, so what? So what if they get that call right? They, you know, Oklahoma got screwed on that call. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm with you. So what? Like, they score. Oklahoma wins, this, wins that game 28 to 27 or whatever, whatever the score would end up being. Yeah, we'd, we'd be happier. We'd be happy, but we'd, we'd also be like, what's going on with this team? That's three games in a row. They could have lost all three, but they're two and one. I, I don't know what they're going to do against West Virginia next week. I, for after three games, I, I can't imagine they do anything differently because they've looked the same exact way since the bye week, every single game. Why would all of a sudden it change? So, I mean, I think it's reasonable to expect the same team next week. No, and yeah, we're going to, it's, it's going to be the exact same thing. Of course thing. they it's can win. be the exact same thing. When they move the ball on offense, they're going to look like world beaters and like they should be moving the ball way more consistently and scoring way more consistently, but they're going to glitch out in, in opportunities where they can't have it. And the defense will probably, for the most part, stuff West Virginia pretty constantly, but I'm sure West Virginia will have some explosive plays that'll keep him in the game. And then West Virginia will make the winning plays at the end. Which is, would be super frustrating because West Virginia's offense is not good. Not good, but they'll probably figure out some, some things to get on OU. Yeah, it's uh, the the fan base is has every right to just be absolutely furious right now, and so I, I I'm listening to the Sooner Scoop podcast, and there was a disagreement on that one, essentially just about like the personnel and if like do they have good enough players to be where they want, and and I'm like I want to definitively answer it. Their players are good enough to be nine and zero right now and to win the Big Twelve. I am certain their players were good enough to go ten and two last year, and not go six and seven. The play like you obviously want yes you, I'm. You, you want, you want better yes, players. You want like I I want the the Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State level of players and rosters. I like I want that too. But right now, it's it is good enough to get where they want to go right now. It really is. And like I'm like 
And last week, I'm still just like, they are so much better than Kansas in a personnel department. It's just, and also Oklahoma State. Like, that that Oklahoma State defense, just not really any good players on that defense. Like, Colin Oliver is a fine bit player. But, like, that's that's about it. Everyone else sucks on that defense. There's like, I just, the best offenses in college football score 50 on that offense, or on that defense, rolling out of bed. It's It's very frustrating the offense didn't put up 50. Heck, I mean, I'd have taken 40, sure, but barely scratching together to get to 24? Uh, it, they're, again, Oklahoma State begging you to take, and Oklahoma did take a couple of shots, definitely more shots than last week, and they were there. If the ball would have been put out an extra five to seven yards, they were there. They were there, and you know what? There was one that Nick Anderson dropped that was there. And so, I mean, that's not on DG. That's on Nick Anderson. Uh, I, but still, like, how about and some like play? How about the situation where it was third and eight? Let's see here. Third and eight, second half. Oklahoma with the football, and they go backwards. They do a little swing side to side pass to Drake Stoops. What on and earth? lose six yards, and then you got fourth fourth and fourteen or whatever. And you, you, you trot Zach Schmidt out there because, I mean, you're not going to go for it on fourth and 14. So either, either you're going to do a little pooch punt or you'll be like, you know what? Screw it. Let's let Zach Schmidt kick. And, of course, Schmidt misses the 51-yarder. Would it have been good from 45 if, without the six-yard loss? I, I don't know. Maybe. But like, not only do you do nothing on third down and eight, you lose six yards on a side-to-side play to Drake Stoops, who had a terrific game, by the way. Drake Stoops was like their number one guy. But man, when Drake Stoops is like your most targeted guy, and he's like your, that's not good. You ha- where is Jaden Gibson, Grant? Why is know, he I'm disappeared? Sorry, but like, let me push back on that. Drake Stoops is a very good college player. He's good. Drake Stoops was wide open over the middle of the field the entire freaking game. I'm not it's, saying he's not a good college player. He's like, I don't want him to be like your most targeted guy. That like, I, I gotta have it with Drake. I, yes, give him targets. Sure, great. Uh, he was the guy they went to on the last play of the game, and he didn't go the full you know, to the first down, which. That was a tough spot for him anyways because they cut the field in half and did their little run out. And That's tough. It's, it's a terrible the, play call. A terrible play call. Like, what do you want? Like, there's, there's just, there's literally like 30 different plays they've run this year that would have been a better call in that situation. Like, and that's situation, like, why don't you run like your little freaking QB draw that, that has a 100% success rate this year, basically? Like, you haven't, and like, we didn't get, get out of that. They had no interest in running Dylan Gabriel in this game as well. Just it's just, I'm sorry. The game plan freaking sucked. Jeff Lebby had no idea of what he wanted to do. Just like last week, just like last week. And I like, thought they I, ran Gabriel too much last week. Like he he looked slow and unathletic for the first time last week. And I don't know how much of that played into this week too. Like he looks like a different player. Like he's not. He can't get away from tackles anymore. I that doesn't bother me that much. I mean, a fourth down and five there, a quarterback draw. That would not have worked. Like no, I mean Sure, like it would have been better than what they ran. It would have been better than a play they ran that's literally never worked in 22 games. Oh, I think I think that's worked here and there, but it just I, I'm pretty sure I've seen that play work before. It's it just it's I hate plays when you cut the field in half. It's not great. And the thing is, Oklahoma State's front, their front four, their line, they're all fast. Like that's the issue. Like they're they 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 get to the they move around quickly. You saw that a lot too. But you can also run on them. <laughs> you can you can outnumber them because they're all little. For the most part, 
and they ran the ball pretty well for the most part, but I just I wish they would have ran it more. But then when they when they decided to run it a lot more, like with Tawi, then it looked like Kansas, and then when Tawi stopped getting yards, they didn't throw it, and then that's what led to that little pooch punt. Uh, whenever they were like, ah, oh, we got it, which it was a nice play. Good thing they they pinned him. But then I think that was what led to the long touchdown drive right for Oklahoma State that ended up having like the they had penalties on it and. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. Like Drake Soup's a nice player. Don't get, like I just, I'd prefer. I don't know. Like maybe. Okay, maybe I'm just more of like, like I said a moment ago, Brendan Thompson's now getting like random playing time and stuff. What has Jaden Gibson done to lose snaps? Like he was in the game randomly, like in the backfield, and then they moved. Like it was. I think it was the fourth down play to when Brendan Thompson dropped it, and Nick Anderson was called for OPI. Which if Brendan Thompson just would have caught that ball, it would have been offset. Like they would have just replayed it, so the penalty wouldn't have mattered. Well, like it would have mattered, but then Oklahoma would have had another chance to get it. Uh, I also thought that was a that was an odd OPI call. I I did too. I did too. That was a I, that was a bad call. I mean, yeah, it didn't end up mattering, but like. Usually call that when like a, a receiver like lowers his shoulder. Nick Anderson just lost spatial awareness there. Just ran into the guy. Yeah, I agree. I I didn't I thought that was a bizarre call too, but I think that was like the one time I saw Jaden Gibson in the game. I mean the the dude has when he's targeted this year, I feel like he makes tough catches in traffic. And we've been wanting Nick Anderson to get more targets. They they got they threw him the ball a decent amount against Oklahoma State. Okay? And he he came up short like he he had some big plays he also missed out on a couple big plays and that's on him so at least they i think he probably had six targets in that game i would bet six or seven wait who which nick anderson like we've been wanting him to get more targets okay good they did they but i that's awesome now can we get Jaden gibson more tar like more playing time like i maybe can Jaden gibson since i'm not even sure if austin stogner is blocking anybody when he's out there like in my mind is like he's out there to block right like okay he misses blocks like he on the the little side to side pass to drake stoops austin stogner's out there totally whiffs that's the guy that ends up getting to stoops first it's like what is the point of austin stogner being out there if he can't even block maybe put Jaden gibson in that spot just a bit if you're gonna get a big tall guy how about you just go 10 personnel and let Jaden gibson be be out there I mean, at least he's a guy that could be targeted and maybe could make a play. But then again, they never really target Stogner anyways. Granted, he did have one catch for 10 yards on a third down and long, which was fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's almost like they keep him out there. And I, I've heard other people say this. Maybe we've talked about it before on this show. It's like, I know they have that, what, five-star like athlete coming in next year or he's maybe a tight end. They're like, oh, yeah, we want to show this guy that we're, we're going to play Mitchell. him a lot. And I, Mitchell, I, yeah. Oh my gosh, that better not be the reason why. I don't. I mean, it's a pretty easy conversation to have. You say, "Yeah, we're not using the tight end this year because you're not on the roster. We don't have any good tight ends." Like that's an easy conversation to have. Like I, I just you're right. No, that 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 cannot be the reason why they do it because that's what Jeff Levy wants to do, and no, nothing is going to deter him from that. That's why he is he's stubborn okay. in that regard, and like I. Whatever, and we've said it. It's it's indefensible that Austin Stogner has played the most snaps this year on offense outside of Dylan Gabriel. Completely indefensible. And there's just it's it is one of the reasons. And yeah, I've already called it's it's one of the reasons why Jeff Levy should not be here next season. Well, that didn't happen. He ain't going anywhere. Uh, they're gonna let him get, give him a chance to 
to coach Jackson it's, Arnold. It's it's going to be the same thing. It's it will not get better because the there's nothing that happened in this game that Jackson Arnold would have been like Dylan Gabriel was good in this game, and like I I know that like I I think you're using the logic of well Jackson Arnold will be better on like on those deep passes that were underthrown and everything maybe. Maybe. Still doesn't change the fact that OU had guys running wide open the entire game anyway. DG was hitting them pretty consistently. It was just, again, that incongruity between what is working, what the offense wants to do, and the personnel on the field. It is not coming together. Very obviously, it's not coming together. There's a disconnect between the offensive coordinator, the position coaches. They Nobody never knows what plays are being run with the personnel on the field. Jeff Lobby just calls the plays with whatever personnel is out there. You cannot do that. Yeah, I, I think Dylan Gabriel played fine. I, I, I do think that the last couple of games, they, they highlight his limitations more. Uh, he's, but we know he's, he's limited. He, I already know he's limited. It doesn't matter. The no, stuff is it's still just, there. No, it is. I just, I, I do think that a, a different quarterback, and Grant, I know Jackson Arnold's young and doesn't have the experience, fine, but he's just, he's more talented. Like, he's a better runner. Uh, he's got a better arm. Who knows if he'd be able to put balls where they need to go right now? Maybe, maybe he wouldn't. It's just, it, it can be elevated. The, the type of play can be elevated, and I think that's kind of like what you hope for going into next year. But ultimately, you're right, though. It's still the same scheme. It's still the same play calling. So It's, it's still, it's still it good enough. just fall back into the same stuff. They're still good enough to be 9-0 right now with what they have by just having a much more competent game plan put together and a much better yeah, idea no, of, of, what, of what you have success doing and what you want to do. They have had, like even these last two games, the offense has been so freaking frustrating these last two games, and yet you can, you can pull up the highlights and you can, you can point out large chunks of the game and highlight stuff that is working constantly, over and over, and it's not fluke stuff. It's OU dominating up front. It's guys winning and being and being open in the secondary, and yet for whatever reason they just go away from that stuff. They do. They do not continue to do what works over and over again. Oklahoma State. That's that is what has changed Oklahoma State season, because they just start. They just decided to go. Hey, we have Ollie Gordon. He's really good, just running downhill. It looks like Alan Bowman is really good th- showing, throwing the short-range RPOs. We're going to build an offense that literally just does those things. We're going to run five plays, and we're going to do them really well. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what Oklahoma State was doing for the first. I, Grant, I didn't, I didn't watch those games very closely. They were using three different quarterbacks. They didn't commit to Bowman until conference play, and then everything's been looking pretty good. So I... Who knows if that was their entire offense all along? It's almost like Mike Gundy, his whole thing is like, yeah, like we're not going to a national title, but I, I really want to win the Big 12. And it's almost like, again, it, it, it's like he treated the first few games in non-conference as preseason. He's like, yeah, who cares? They're non-conference games. We'll just we'll kind of whatever, mess around. I, I don't, I guess, try out quarterbacks. And then now once the conference play began, it's been a totally different team to their credit. And they've been, they've been a good football team this year. And that's a team that can certainly play for the Big 12 title. And Man, I like guess Texas I just... Is mess, it, Texas yeah, this, is not, you know, overlooks them. They could, they could, they could beat Texas, I'm too. sorry. This is just where I'm struggling. I don't think that Oklahoma State team's that good. That Kansas team's not that good. Big 12 sucks this year. Those are not very good teams. Those are teams that are going to yeah, get absolutely run by any... Like in a bowl game, if they play any team with any ability, those teams are going to get freaking run. Here's the thing, Grant. Like, the, these, these teams, they're well-coached. Like that's that's what makes them a pretty good team. Like they know what they're doing and they know what they're doing. Like 
Lance Leipold's a really, really good coach, and there's there's some talent on Kansas, and they got a pretty good backup quarterback that's basically their starter now because Jalen Daniels can never be healthy, and they figure it out. And by the way, I told like Iowa State's not very good, so that, I, at least I got that one right. Uh, and Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy's doing a nice job. Like Casey Dunn's having his best year calling plays probably, and I think that's a big credit to Alan Bowman. I, clearly, he's doing things that Spencer Sanders couldn't do that consistently. It's just weird that it took him until game four to kind of go with them and, and move on. But anyways, this is not a Oklahoma State podcast. Let's go to three-word reviews to get everyone's feedback. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of disdain out there. We'll start on Twitter X. I'm at Lee Benson Tweets. Jed Castles from News 9 says, baffled, conundrum, irritated. Our friend Brady Trantham from Keyhole Pod says, you know, Brady, he's a he loves the history of OU football and just history in general. Brady says, undermined 117 years. Obviously referencing the fact that after years of dominance, Oklahoma State gets bragging rights for however long. That, that game Thanks, is Vinny. not being played again anytime soon. Oklahoma State will not agree to play that game anytime soon. I'm talking They'd be crazy multiple They'd decades. They'd be crazy, too. They'd be, yeah, they will... And and like I, I wouldn't blame them. They, I mean, they have no incentive to play this game. It's it's I don't know. No, I don't. None. I don't think it really is good for them to do so. Um, and this is just going to make it them winning this last one here is just going to make it even more likely that they say, well, whatever, have fun in the SEC. I tend to agree. John D. Sullivan says, Venables must go. I, I mean, that ain't happening right now. But Grant, I mean. Heck, this is a podcast. OU loses out, goes seven and five in the regular season. Yeah, no, he's done. He's done. They lose out. We're at, we're. I mean that. You you got to think about it, right? I, I I think it would be. It's not even a you have to think about it situation. If they lose out, like literally lose five in a row, at the it's it's got to be done. It's got to be done. Man, I just think about all the conversations we had preseason uh, in our preseason preview and kind of like going through. I think we've talked about these scenarios just for fun, you know, like, oh, what kind of season do you want to see from Venables? Because you and I, I mean, very skeptical about the way last season ended. That's why we were skeptical about this year. Boom, six games. Man, credit, all credit in the world to Brent Venables. Every, everything is looking great. And then three games, the past three games, it's like, oh, oh, oh wow, we're we're back to where we were about this time last year. Oh, great. But yet again, like I said, at the very beginning of the show, they have made improvements. Like they technically, I mean, they just have. Yeah, defense is a lot better. The defense has, this season has come up with big stops, like really consistently. Let's go to Sean. Sean says, turn clocks back. Referencing the the time change. Pretty topical. It's pretty topical. Actually, I just got tripped up on that. I was like, you know, I haven't changed the clocks, right? Like on my oven in my kitchen. I'm looking at it now and it's like it's close to noon. And I'm just like, wow, man, this has been a long pot. It doesn't feel like it. And then I hear I'm looking at my computer and realize that it's actually 1056. Man, it's crazy. Another one from Sean. He says, Sunday school tomorrow or drink more water. I. Okay, what I Sean is I don't uh, Sean might it might be just it might might be a bit here. I I might I might have just gotten played by Sean. Thanks, man. That's on me. I'm not even sure what, if these have anything to do with the game. 
Uh, Lou says, ship is sinking. I can't argue with that right now. Back-to-back losses. Who knows what's going to happen next week? More, more uh, three-word reviews like that. Tim says, downward spiral continues. And coming in at the, the official says, the refs suck. Josh, longtime listener Josh, says bad, just bad. <laughs> P23570. <laughs> Sisyphus can rest. This, he always has just the most like, thought-provoking three-word reviews. How about this from Brett? Brett says, which coaches leave? Say it. I, mean, I, I just, like, you can't, you cannot, you, ha- you have, yeah, you, you got to clean house on the offensive side of the ball. Not, that's just not work. And it's just, it's also that that style of offense, and this is just, I feel like this is just being charitable. That style of offense is very clearly not meshing with Brent Venables and the culture that he wants. You got to do something different. You have to. Just please, let's, if you're going to go like more of like a Clemson type route, like, can it just please do not, be better don't. though than that? That's what I'm, that's what I'm also scared of is that he is going to decide to move on from you know, from Lebby and he's going to hire like Chad Morris or something. I like, he's just, he's going to go back to his Clemson roots, which would terrify me because Clemson, even when they were winning national championships, did not have a well-coordinated offense. They just had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence and freaky NFL receivers and Wayne Gallman and Travis Etienne. So I, well, I and just, that, well, in that sense, maybe they would play Jaden Gibson more though, at least maybe he would actually get some more run. <laughs> he's a big bodied, Sometimes freaky receiver. But yeah, that, uh, that does sound scary. Matt says, another mysterious cramp. <laughs> okay. Okay, and I'm, I'm starting to get trolled on here. That's on me. I, I gotta do, what are you talking who's about? Our guy? You, know, who's our... you know what he's talking about. He's talking about oh. Oklahoma State faking injuries, which is perfectly legal. And, if, and like the book is out against oh. OU. If you do that, it's, it's going to work every time, and it is going to, it's going to stop their momentum. It's legal. Yeah. They okay. can do it. You're right. And you know what? OU, OU has no one but themselves to blame for that because they're the ones who have tried to emphasize the stupid freaking tempo that has cost them games and cost them, it's cost them focus, it's cost them precision. Stop it. It is a bit and it's dumb. It's Mickey Mouse middle school crap. Okay, no, sorry about that, Matt. Yeah, um, and I'm with you. I, I don't even notice that stuff because it just it, it's like, yeah, so what? It happens. Like, it's part of the game. It, you, and so my thing is, I just thought of this, you know, like everyone's like, ah, Oklahoma has no identity on offense. They have no identity. Yeah, they do. And we've known their identity ever since Jeff Levy got hired. His identity is I have a bit offense. I have a gimmicky offense. That's my identity. (laughs) So let's see what happens on the the field. Like it's a it's a bit gimmicky offense that at times can look really good and fun. Like this is maybe more in Oklahoma State being bad on defense, but the touchdown pass to Drake Stoops is kind of a fun little little wrinkle. Put him in the backfield, and he just kind of ran a little, little wheel out of the backfield. He's wide open, but was that more just on Oklahoma State being bad on defense? Probably. Like it's like Drake Stoops didn't even exist; they didn't even account for him. But they scored a touchdown there, and there were some plays. But yeah, it's that's the identity. We're gimmicky, and we go fast. Jimmy says team falling apart. Dan says blind eye pis. Also, Dan says, defense did enough. Offense simply muffed. 
More from Dan. He says, contrived final drive. <laughs> also, Dan. Dan's got a lot. Signature Lebby call. <laughs> and finally, Dan, with some positivity, says, trust in BV. Uh, Jonathan says, Texas was goal. It certainly seems like it. Certainly seems like that was a national title game, apparently, because ever since then, Oklahoma hadn't really shown up the same way. And I get that. And our friend Brady has talked about this. Like, you know, we've commented on that video they made after the Texas game, and it was like seven minutes long, and it seemed like it was a. And like, that's, that's totally separate from the team. And he's right, it is. It is. Uh, we're three games past it. Yeah, it's separate from the team and everything. But I, I, I don't know. I, even Venables after the game was like, yeah, guys, I know. Like, he's, I remember like, watching his huddle thing. Like, it's not it. We got a lot more to do. And I think I even heard players afterwards saying, like, ah, oh, we're not finished yet. So, like, they were, they were saying all the right stuff after the Texas game. But the actual play on the field, going to a bye, like, well, it certainly seemed like it was, that was kind of it for them. And now they just, they're not showing up. They're just playing, they're playing team 128 ball. So that's frustrating. More from Jonathan. He says, we suck again. Also, team can't finish. And Jonathan says, scared of SEC. <sighs> I am too. I am too. How can you not be? I don't know. Unless you're like some like internet tough guy who's like, oh, bedwetters and stuff like that. We're not scared of anything. Shut up. I mean, the only thing that makes me, that can make me feel a little bit better at this point is that knowing that teams like A&M and Missouri, their first couple of years in the SEC, they did pretty well, even though they were kind of whatever also rans. But, you know, maybe that means that Oklahoma could have some initial success because those teams did. But, I mean, maybe it was a different SEC back then. I don't know. I mean, everyone's used to Oklahoma's offense. Like, I think a big part, and, I mean, you paid a lot closer attention to this stuff back than I did, so maybe I'm off base, but... One of my biggest things whenever A&M made that move is like that was back when the SEC was still really behind times with offensive play calling. Like they never saw anybody that spread it out, like could, could actually throw the ball down the field, it seemed like, even though the SEC was dominant. Like maybe I don't even know if there's any teams in the SEC that really did what like Texas A&M was going to do and no, even what Missouri was doing. Johnny, like the first year of Texas A&M, they had Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans and no, and their, and the offense that they ran was pretty state of the art for the SEC at that time. And then in terms of Missouri, they were just, they were in the SEC East with, with yeah. when, when Georgia was not very good. So yeah. And then, and when Missouri went over to the SEC, they had, they were in a pretty decent stretch and run in the big 12 as well, where they were getting really good players, like good offensive yeah, players, getting good defensive linemen. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, so Oklahoma doesn't have this advantage, though, going in. We're like, oh, their offense is going to kind of be new and different, and these defenses in the SEC haven't, haven't seen it. In fact, their offense right now is kind of making, our, making us want to pull our hair out. <laughs> All right, more three-word reviews on Twitter. Zach says, we beat ourselves. And also, I got to say, Zach has a really nice note for you and I, Grant. He says, I know in the past you guys have discussed stopping the podcast if the team gets worse. Please keep going. This podcast is a needed sooner lifeline for me in the Northeast. Plus, it's my favorite podcast by far. You guys are awesome. Zach, that's a really nice note. That's a really nice note. The fact that, that Grant and I talking about OU football is something that 
that you like so much and you feel so passionate about, it, it honestly, it means quite a bit. That's really nice of you to say that. I appreciate that. And I know you feel the same way, Grant. Yeah, that's great. That's, um, you know, in a lot of ways, the, I think in a lot of ways, and you probably agree with this too, maybe some of the, some of the you know, reasons that we're still doing this is, is, is because of stuff like that. So very much appreciated. Yeah, no, absolutely. We know that, you know, this is not anywhere near the most listened to Oklahoma podcast. <laughs> we, we, we get it. We know that. We've known that forever. But you all do listen. And there's some loyal people that like the show. And we, we probably don't talk about it en- enough, but we, we really do appreciate it. It's big time. And, I mean, this is it's one of those things where we have the ability to come on here and just kind of let out everything we're thinking. And that helps. I like it. It's fun. Uh, and we kind of, and we know that. I mean, you guys could start your own. You, I mean, everyone can start a podcast, you know. But sometimes you, know, you don't have the time to do it. You don't want to do it. And hopefully, in a way, us and then I know the other OU podcasts too. I'm sure you all listen to those as well. Is a way for you all to kind of get some therapy in a way after games like that. Longtime listener Chris says, "Fire Jeff Lebby." Chris also says, "Is BV right?" As in the right guy to run this program. Also, Chris says, we are Vanderbilt. Okay, Chris, come on, man. It's not that bad. <laughs> he's not, oh, he's not Vanderbilt. That's yeah, a little over the top. <laughs> Almost done on Twitter. Oh, can't read that one. That's uh, not the bleep that out if I did. Uh, Aaron says, Venables, a fraud. And um, Heisman Not QB even just a fraud, is just like just make the obvious adjustments that you have to make. The fact that like, and we haven't even really gone into it much, but I'm, I'm glad you brought it up almost like an hour ago now. It's just like you know, not taking a timeout before halftime. There, like I even texted the little group chat that we have with 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 Brady. I said I said that's I said that's cowardly football. They're not going to win this game. Well, it's cowardly football, like I said, but I think the main reason is is Venables clearly does not have confidence in his offense to execute. Which is which is uh, dumb because it's there. It's there if they want it. It's there if I they know. just if if they just do smart things. If they're just thoughtful. But like and but they, it goes back to it. They can't be thoughtful because they're too prioritized with going fast. You can't be precise when you're then that's that's what the focus in the offseason needs to be. Get away from the gimmicky crap and go more to precision and execution. That is what your focus should be. Meanwhile, you see Oklahoma State probably a handful of times uh, very intentional on certain motions and shifts to set up uh, numbers advantages on running plays or a shift or a motion to set up an easy pitch and catch for a first down because they are taking their time, and they, they want to set up a certain play against Oklahoma's defense. That happened a handful of times, and every single time they tried to do it, it worked. <laughs> Lee, I actually kind of have an idea, like, because I know it's like when you talk about moving on from an offensive coordinator, inevitably the conversation starts of, like, oh, who do you want? Who do you want? And this just popped in my head right now, and this could actually be like a really good buy-low opportunity, but they should really think about maybe Jeff Grimes over at Baylor. Yeah, we haven't heard much about Jeff Grimes for the last couple of seasons, right? Um, I mean, we liked his offense, his, his setup. It's it's kind of there's definitely an identity there. He's definitely I mean, they, more of a he's definitely more of a let's let's do you know let's do what our personnel does well because when he was at BYU, 
he had Zach Wilson, and they were throwing the ball all over the yard, spreading it out. And then his first year, he goes to Baylor, and they kind of turn into like a really like an under center downhill running team because that's just what the personnel dictated. Because they had Gary Bohannon, right? Yep, yep. He's and they had uh, Ab- yeah Abrams, the you know the linebacker that they converted. Yeah. And so that I mean that would be an interesting idea, I think, because that's. I mean, we I guess yeah, into, I just I just I, mean, I don't want anything. To, I just that. I just I just I don't want anything to do. With the with with the Bryles air raid stuff, I I want nothing to do with that. It's even even like even when they were running it well at Baylor with Bryles and everything, they still bogged down and they struggled in in, in instances where they had to have it. They still did too. And this is why, and now you know now things you know back to back losses and that's interesting. I I haven't really thought about you know who they'd go get you know the next guy and it's just it's frustrating whenever I think Venables was kind of the obvious guy you had to go with Venables like it was he's one of the best defensive coordinators for years it's I mean he said like he he's kind of been waiting for that that to ever take a head coaching job he kind of waited for that perfect time like if you're Joe Castiglione it's almost like you kind of had to do it I, I don't I'd have done it I, I and I know there was reports there's rumors like maybe Dan Lanning was also in the running and now you see if that's true and you see what Dan Lanning's doing at Oregon you're like I'd I'd much rather have Dan Lanning right now because the he had no ties to Oregon whatsoever, nothing to that part of the country. They're really good. That Pac-12 is really good right now, and Oregon's still really good. Bo Nix was like kind of mediocre at Auburn, and I I couldn't tell you who their offensive coordinator is, but Oregon's offense clearly is is good. Like they're figuring it out, and they got a good and defense. I, and I've seen some people too say that like Dan Lanning actually stepped into a better culture and stuff like that. No, he didn't. Mario Cristobal sucks. I, I, I can promise you that Awful. Oregon was probably a mess when he got there. I can promise yeah. you that. The best thing, the one thing you could probably say is that Oregon probably did have a little bit more high end talent when he walked in, because yeah, okay, Cristobal probably had done a better job of recruiting than Lincoln Riley had. See, but I think the the main point, the main key to that though, is that it's so impressive to me that Dan Lanning goes from the SEC to the Pacific Northwest. With like, what's his recruiting pipeline? Does he know anybody? And yet, doesn't matter. He's he's done a great job, and that so that tells me like he could go to Oklahoma, which is obviously closer to this region of the country or where he was coming from, and probably been just fine. And then not now you're you're injecting this young guy again. And like, granted, Brent Venables is an older guy. He might as well be a young guy. Brent Venables has tons of energy. He's in great shape. We get it. Like, but I know like our, our friend Brady Trantham, and I'm kind of starting to lean more and more towards it. Like. Brady really so badly wants to finally get away from the Stoops and everybody involved with Bob Stoops and just kind of turn the page on it. And the more this kind of stuff happens after last year and now they're starting to struggle this year, it's like maybe that's maybe that's what needs to happen. I mean, no, they, they totally turned the page and went with Bob Stoops after John Blake and success for years. No, I am convinced. It's like, yeah, I've I'm halfway there. I'm convinced that is the case on offense for sure. You gotta at least you got you gotta at least get all of the offensive guys who are here under Riley out now, and I hate that that's the case because a lot of them are really good coaches, and it, but it's it's not working. It's clear like that was a mismatch. Jeff Lebby came in, and there was some leftover guys from Riley's staff who stayed, and that was probably a smart thing at the time because those are good coaches who would have who would have fetched a lot of money and a lot of interest on the open market if they were out there. They probably just like in a vacuum were the best available offensive assistants that were there that they could have gotten. It's not working. They're running two totally different things. 
And and like I guess and a lot of this is me maybe filling in the blanks with some stuff, but you have to start somewhere. Like I can look at the defensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball is clearly a lot better than what it is. They've been way better on defense this year. There's still some glitches that I wish wouldn't happen, but also that's it's it's probably easier to be reasonable in that in that regard and just say, hey, you know, they finished like 90th in SP plus defense last year. They're like 30th right now, and my eyes tell me they are that much better. Especially with just like how many like I I've said it multiple times just how many big stops they've gotten this year they have gotten the ball back to the offense and told them hey go win the game multiple times they've done it multiple times in lots of games this year and so like they deserve credit for that because they've been way better of course the pass the pass rush I wish was more consistent because it's been MIA the last two weeks and that I mean that'd be a big I mean that's one thing like if, if they get some legitimately really athletic like NFL style defensive lineman in here like that the defense will be at a top 10 level it will be uh, because they have made very clear improvement in that regard. It's the offense that has taken a step back and has regressed. And that's the only that's the only part of this program right now that still has guys left over from the Riley regime. And moving on from them is not saying that they're bad coaches, but it's just saying in this particular situation, it is not working and we need a reboot in that situation. They have good enough players to have a top five offense in college football. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like, we hadn't even talked about the two two big fourth down and short stops by the defense. Uh, I mean, Robert Spears Jennings made came in from the backside and stopped Ollie Gordon on one of them. Uh, just huge, huge You're just like, moments I in mean, the game. I mean, the guys like Kip Lewis, I, um, Kobe McKenzie, Robert Spears Jennings, guys who have been backups Isaiah majority Coe of the year. Isaiah blew up one of them. Isaiah, yeah. They played, they played a majority of the snaps in this game, and they were good. That shows you that the direction on defense is going in the right direction. Robert Spears Jennings had a great game. And like that's something that we've been kind of looking for. And and I yeah, I, I mean I ta- already talked about Kip and how impressive, you know, Kip Lewis was. And even Kobe McKenzie, I knew that he was probably gonna get a lot more run in this game, and that made me a little bit nervous. But he I I mean, the worst thing I can say Fine. about him in this game is that he was steady. He's just he was good. He didn't hurt them, which is a big deal. Yeah. And um they need to get a little better in the secondary for sure. But, I th- you know, they have some young corners that I think we all like. And, you know, it, they just need experience and they'll get better there. Um, so it's like it's easy to talk yourself into that side of the ball. Um, the, the offensive side of the ball is a disaster right now. And I know you can point towards stats and total offense and say, oh, it's actually really good. No, people who have watched the games know that that is why they have lost the last two games. And it was utterly preventable. Agree. And, you know, it's tough. I'm, I'm mostly with you, but... I really would not – I would not prefer to lose – I still think Bill Biedenboe would work. I mean, Bill Biedenboe is a, a, a good offensive coordinator or offensive line coach. Uh, obviously, he, he loves Oklahoma. And I don't – I'd be okay with basically getting rid of – I think you start with – I mean, I'm with you. It, it saddens me as well. But if DeMarco Murray does have as much influence on that room as of what we're seeing on the field, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd be okay with them – Parting way was with DeMarco because it's been that position group has been a joke this year. And then also, yeah, Joe John Finley seems like a nice guy, but it's like, what is it, What are the tight ends even doing in this offense? Like, like we talked about it before the season started. It's like got the worst position group on the roster probably. And yet their starting guy is playing involved. tons of snaps, but doesn't, but doesn't really do anything. Uh, not particularly a good blocker either. So yeah, those I'd start, I'd be totally okay with those two. 
It's just I can't imagine they're going to get rid of Lebby unless something just they lose the next they lose out and it's like they need a fall guy and they don't want to get rid of with Venables yet and I guess but yeah. like I mean it's you got even I mean we're, we we moved on from like the the Art Bryles controversy earlier this year I'm sure that really pissed off the administration like that's not going to help them like it's I don't and, and I don't want to use that as like I, I think Jeff Lebby's performance as offensive coordinator dictates that he should not have his job renewed that he shouldn't be here. But, like, the Art Bryle stuff is probably going to make it a lot easier emotionally to move on from that. But, and, like, I, I see what you mean about Bill Biedenboe, and I love Biedenboe, and I still think their offensive line is good this year. When they're, when they're put in good, like, when they're put in the right positions to succeed, they maul. They do. Like, when they're actually asked just to, like, physically overpower guys and run straight ahead, man, they've had so much success doing that this year. But the problem is that's not what Jeff Lebby wants to do. He's not comfortable doing that. That is what Bill Biedenboe is comfortable with. One of, the, one, of the, one of the big successes that Lincoln Riley has was him accepting that he had a good offensive line coach who likes to lean on guys and likes to be physical in the run game. And they built, and they built an entire huge offense around the GT counter. And it was a huge thing in college football for three years that a lot of people have tried to copy. A lot of teams really struggled to figure out ways to stop it. And a lot of it had to do with Bill Biedenboe as an offensive, as an offensive line coach dictating uh, aggressiveness, physicality, and all of that. And so that's great. Where I'm concerned, though, is that I, I, I think your best, your best bet to have a good reboot on offense and to preserve the culture on that side of the ball is you have to hire an offensive coordinator and you have to let him bring his guys in that he wants. Because I think right now the problem is Jeff Lebby was hired and he definitely doesn't have the guys that he wants. If like if given his of given like if he was in charge of all of that, I'm sure he probably would have gone in a different direction in all of that. Now I don't want to like give him a, a pass for that, saying like, oh, Lebby is hasn't been successful because he doesn't have his guys. He's got the things in place right now, and he's just not adjusting. I don't know. I don't know about that though, because I mean, Lebby had still had a ton of close relationships with the with, with a lot of these coaches on staff. Like, I think he was stacked to be able to keep Bill Biedenboe. I think he's buddies with Joe John Finley, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he would have gone with him either. And I, I guess I'm not sure what his relationship was with DeMarco Murray beforehand. Um, so maybe that was one. Heck, the way that position group has played out, maybe that's one of them where he maybe would have liked to <laughs> go somewhere else. Uh, but and like, and I, I, I guess he probably hired Emmett Jones or, you know, that yeah. was part of that. So, yeah. And I like I, I'm going to reiterate it again. And like I'm going to say it, that it, it saddens me because it will it will it will certainly alter his relationship with the university. DeMarco Murray deserves to be fired. He has done a terrible job this year. Like, disaster to the point where it's been so bad that people are calling for the running backs coach to be fired. It's been that noticeable. Yeah. And, like, I, a good point. I hate that that's the case, but he has utterly failed the offense this season. And, and it's to the point where it's like, he's not fully in charge. There's two other guys who have authority over him. And if they're not doing anything or saying anything or making any changes, it's on them too. Yeah, for sure. Let's switch over to the West of Everest Facebook page for some more three-word reviews before we get out of here. Philip, longtime listener, says, we were overrated. Longtime listener Harry says, get back coached. Referencing Venables' penalty, I would imagine. Justin says, that really sucked. And Justin has a note. He says, long, by the way, longtime listener, Justin. He says, side note, I'm officially on the fire Jeff Lebby bandwagon after watching that final offensive play. 
cuts off two-thirds of the field and only gives one read to Stoops as a passing option. That combined with the puzzling play calls and him trying to get cute at strange times over almost two seasons has exhausted my patience with him. I think there's a lot of people out there that watch Oklahoma football that are pretty close to where you are, Justin. And I do, it's not like in order to fire an offensive coordinator, it doesn't have to get to Brian Ferentz levels. And, the, and I, and oh, I think that's what – and you're going to see a lot of national people – and stuff saying that, like, Oklahoma fans are crazy that wanted to get rid of Jeff Lebby. Look, look at their offensive numbers. They're great. Don't listen to them. They don't know what the freak they're talking about at all. Although, there could be a lot of national guys that would, people that would be, like, super into it just because they would have their opinions on all the Art Brow stuff. So they'd say, oh, he probably deserves Anyways, that's total sidebar. Uh, ben says, where's the offense? And also, Ben says, Jackson Arnold time. I... What are the like? Maybe like we haven't really seen much Jackson Arnold since the first part of the like. Are they potentially trying to kind of maybe see if they can hold him out for a red shirt this year, or are we going to see him some more? I don't know. I I would really really like to see him in the last Me two games. And like I they had a they had a discussion about that on the Sooner Scoop podcast as well, whereas Kerry was kind of playing like you're you're crazy for even thinking that they're not going to screw over Dylan Gabriel like that. I I'm sorry like. What they wanted to accomplish this season is effectively done. It's done. You might as well you might as well throw that other guy in there to see. And I'm not saying you should take every snap, but throw him out there. It's like what you think like switching up the quarterback is going to be even is, is going to be worse than what they already do to kill the momentum of the offense. No, no, no. Uh, Skip says done with Levy. Mike says prep next year. <laughs> Uh, maybe it, that's a reference. Maybe we'll see some more Jackson Arnold. Who knows? Uh, fix was in from Mike. Uh, referencing the refs. Yeah, I mean, that was should have been a P.I. on the Stoops play. Definitely should have been a P.I. Uh, finally, Mike says, goodbye, little brother. Well, they get the last laugh. Hunter says, better than 2022. And yes, the team is definitely better than last year, but... Uh, Oh, uh, Hunter also adds, it's weird how much Oklahoma and Texas have struggled post-Cotton Bowl. I, I've been seeing this, like, people saying that Texas is, I don't think Texas has really struggled. I mean, I know they played a close one with K-State. K-State's a good team. No, Texas has, has just and, continued and to be who they were, even before the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. I don't, didn't they, uh, I mean, they ran BYU, I think, was that last Smoked week, Smoked BYU, they kind of screwed her, they, they controlled the game against Houston, but kind of farted around a little bit, and weren't very efficient, and only they, they, they lost their quarterback. They lost their quarterback in that game, so I mean they had to. That, you gotta give them. And there was some slack for yeah, that. They, yeah. they beat they beat Kansas State, and they were up by 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 three touchdowns on Kansas State, and then they kind of glitched out late in the second half, let Kansas State back into the game. Kansas State was arguably playing the best football of anyone in the conference going into that game. No, it's it's stupid. No, Texas is going to freaking win out, and they're going to win the Big Twelve, and OU is going to let it happen because they screwed up. Gonzo Strangelove says, Gabriel's target fixation. Gonzo says, on the deep incomplete for Farouk, had Sawchuck wide open. I, I know exactly what you're talking about on that one. That was the, I think that was the first shot of the game on third down. Yep, uh, Gavin was – that was a situation where they had, like, no deep safety help. So I, I don't mind the shot because there's, it was one-on-one -on -one coverage. But also, yeah, Gavin Sachuk was right in front of Gabriel, right in the middle of the field with Kendall Daniels and one broken tackle away from a touchdown. So, like, that's kind of part of, like, 
and there's no way that was the that, that was not the only time that was there. They could have done that on non-third down plays too and probably see if it would have worked. So yeah, I saw that too, Gonzo. Uh, also, he says on the interception early in the third, Stoops was open. There was also progression issues. Yeah, Drake Stoops is always open. Yeah. Uh, more from Gonzo. He says coordinator, not coordinating. Talking about Jeff Levy. Failure to capitalize. DBs over pursuing again. Turnovers, penalties, focus. I thought, the tackling, I thought the tackling was really bad on the first drive. And then the tackling like totally stabilized the rest of the game. They did like and I, I, another thing that I want to give credit to the defense outside of like I think Ollie Gordon had like 55 yards on two separate carries. Other than that, he was completely ineffective. And then there's the the very well-called running back screen pass on third down that got OU for like 15 or 20. More from Gonzo. He says, egregious P.I. non-call. Of course, on the Drake Stoops one. Uh, and, maybe and a two I, I do want to... It was egregious. That, that's one of the worst non-calls. And that, that is, that's just as bad as the non-call like in the NFC Championship game in the NFL, like that, that led them to be able to review PIs yeah. and they went back. I, that's, they're ju- it's just as blatant as that. It was awful. Yeah, I mean, he was being tackled. It was in play. It was, yeah, bad. Um, let's go to Peyton. He says, score after turnovers. Mike says, doomed by turnovers. Shelly says, we hurt ourselves. David, uh, da- David says, hoping for chaos since the season's over <laughs> um okay so uh, a buddy of mine jared drops in i like seeing uh, him come he he actually has a comment on david's three-word review he says i like this three-word review maybe because people will start realizing that oklahoma hired a lemon at head coach <laughs> uh more from jared <laughs> you know I, I appreciate jared coming in for three-word review he says uh vinny ain't it mediocre football team with OU capitalized <laughs> and once again exposed ah, I mean those are pretty good uh, Dan says defense did enough yep also Dan says offense did not ref screwed OU and finally too many turnovers Michael says season is over Lebby ain't it where's the discipline it's Arnold time. Can Venables fix? Question mark. No more excuses. Seven and six? Question mark. Oh, man. Can you imagine them not only losing out, but then losing a bowl game, too? Well, I mean, um, if they lose out, they're not yeah. going to win the bowl game. If they lose out, they're in free fall mode. It's, it's done. It's over. Like, it's... That's the one scenario, like, I... If they if they were to lose out and finish seven and five, I I, I don't think you have a choice in that scenario. You you do got you have to move on from Venables. You have to. Um, it's just, but also it's like anything else though. OU's kind of in a catch twenty two because you do have to acknowledge all of the good things that Venables has done. Recruiting's way better. It looks like the the program is much more organized. They have a much better relationship with like Oklahoma high schools. They have like it's it seems like. Actually, you know what? All the way up until whatever, the, all the way up until the offense started to bog down in the first quarter against UCF with amazing field position, everything looked like it was just, it had just turned the corner completely. Yep. 
And then, yeah, no, you're exactly right. And and like oh, I, I and 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 I know this is probably not right, but it's very easy for me to to talk myself into. You just you, you make you make three or four different decisions against Kansas, three or four different decisions against Oklahoma State, and you maybe you maybe win those games by double digits. And people, but like also, it's where you have to pause is that we said the exact same thing in the second half of last season, consecutively, yep, exactly. week to week, week to week, and it's. Ex- I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, yep. I'm throwing my arms up. Great point. We're almost done here. David says weak armed Gabriel, and yeah, I say I. He was definitely much better. the The weather was beautiful in Stillwater, but his I I do think that you know four about four ball. I mean, just again we magnify these plays because they lose. It's just he underthrew some stuff, and a deeper pass would have been better. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel does not have a rocket arm. He definitely does not. That was very clear even last season. And w- when we talked about limitations and everything, his arm is still a lot stronger than Alan Bowman's. <laughs> I, like, I, it's, you still can win with it. Steven says, deja vu. Had our chances. And finally, not SEC ready. Oh, boy. Can't argue with that right now. All right, well, Grant, OU 7-2. and two. They got West Virginia next week back home and see how the, the crowd reacts. I mean, they're going to they're gonna be supportive. We got a night game. People, people want this team to play well. We'll see if the team responds. I, they've had wake-up call against UCF. Didn't matter. Lose to Kansas. Hey, maybe another wake-up call. They lose to Oklahoma State. I guess we'll see what kind of pride they have. Big 12 titles. Pretty much out the window unless crazy stuff happens, I guess. Get, I, right now, I guess the goal is to, to, to win 10 games in the regular season. You got to get to 10 wins before the bowl game. That's got to be the goal, right? I got, if you're on this team, you're thinking, we, we got to get to 10. We got to win I, out. No, I, you have to. And like I Obviously. And it's got to be, and I guess like as a coaching staff, you, gotta, you, have to, you probably have to bring the focus back to the now. You do have to take it just one week at a time. It's just all about West Virginia. But yeah, like big picture... You have to go 11 and 2. Have to. The next 3 teams they're going to play are not very good. They're not. In fact, in fact the last 2 teams they've lost to are are better than the 3 teams that they're about to play. But yes. also, but you know what? I you know, I whatever. The last 3 games that they lost of last season, they were a lot better than all those teams too, and it didn't matter. Mhm. All right. Well, that was that was fun. Well, I mean, not Fun relative to OU losing two in a row. Got a lot off our chest there. I guess we'll be back uh, middle of the week to talk OU West Virginia. Got any, uh, any final thoughts? No, I just I'm. I, it's it's funny how when like OU loses, how how much less interesting college football gets. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I'm just so sure. I'm I'm so cynical about it now. I just I don't really. It's. I like the the three word review about like root for chaos and stuff like that, and I'm here to tell you it's not going to happen. Georgia is about to win their third straight national championship, and it's going to be very boring, and it's just going to feel like they're even further away from being able to do that. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later in the week to talk more OU football. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show, and if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, 
and SoundCloud.